God raised Jesus from the dead. Let me say that one more time. God raised Jesus from the dead. When I officiate weddings, I have the opportunity to speak to the bride and to the groom and to remind them of their vows that they're making to each other. And oftentimes I ask them to repeat after me. Uh, Back in October, my daughter and my son-in-law renewed their vows. And it came to that time in the ceremony where I was giving the vows that my son-in-law, Kenny, was to repeat. And I said to him, Kenneth, do you reaffirm your commitment to Allison to take Allison to be your wedded wife? And he was supposed to respond to that. But before he responded, I had the microphone in my hand and I put it in his hand and in his face. And I said to him, I want to hear this. I want to hear this. And he reaffirmed the vow uh, to his wife. In a real sense, I wish I could go around uh, with a microphone and put it in each and every one of your faces and have you say, God raised Jesus from the dead. That is an important truth. That is a life-changing truth. That is the truth that should be shouted from the mountaintops. That is a truth that should be held deeply within the hearts of every true believer in Jesus Christ. God raised Jesus from the dead. If you don't remember anything else, that's what I want you to remember. That our God raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's really the title of the message, God Raised Jesus from the Dead. And I stole the title from my namesake, Paul, the Apostle. Uh, When you come to Acts chapter 13 and you look at these verses, Paul speaks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, uh, they came to a place called Pisidian Antioch. They attended a synagogue, and in that synagogue on the Sabbath, they were asked, do you guys have anything to say? And Paul grabbed the microphone, and Paul preached. And what he preached is found in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse, uh, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 16, all the way to chapter 41. It's his longest sermon. It's his first sermon. Trust me, I am not going to say everything that Paul said, but if you want his complete sermon, read those verses. But what Paul proclaims beyond a shadow of a doubt 
is that God raised Jesus from the dead. We're diving right into the middle of Paul's sermon. Once in a while when I'm preaching, somebody might arrive a little bit late. And uh, I've already started preaching, so they have to get right into the sermon. They don't know what was said earlier. So in a sense, we're diving right into the middle of Paul's sermon. We're starting with verse 26. The sermon started in verse 16. And so I just want to kind of review it real quick. Uh, The sermon is being proclaimed in a synagogue. It's being preached to people who are addressed as men of Israel and those who fear God. That is, Paul is addressing his message to Jewish people who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he's also addressing Gentile people, those who are God-fearers. They were proselytes to the Jewish religion. And his message is to them. And Paul begins his message by just reviewing Israel's history. He starts off with their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he goes all the way to the time of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you look at those verses, the thing that is prominent, the thing that stands out is that God, according to promise, has brought to Israel a savior. God has promised and brought to Israel a savior. And that savior is none other than Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to our text. And as we look at verses 26 through 29, I want you to see the execution of Jesus. As I said earlier, you can't really talk about the resurrection without talking about the crucifixion. That is, there can be no resurrection Sunday. There can be no sunrise service if there is no Good Friday. Now, you cannot separate the two. They go hand in hand. The the last thing that we want to do is to have a wonderful Good Friday service like we had and leave Jesus on the cross. That's not where he remains. And when we come to our text, we are reminded of Good Friday. We are reminded of the fact of Jesus' execution. And again, as Paul is in the middle of his sermon, he's already spoken to who he's addressing the sermon to. But again, in verse 26, he addresses him. He's kind of like saying, well, I know you hung with me for a few verses. Maybe you dozed off. Maybe you nodded off. So so let me address you one more time. Let me see if I can grab your attention. And so he says in verse 26, brethren. So this time he's a little bit more affectionate and more intimate. And he says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God. This is an evangelistic sermon. This is not a sermon written to believers. This is written to unbelievers, and particularly unbelievers who are Jews. 
And and many of us, because that's not our background, uh, find some of the things that Paul says here a little bit challenging, but we will work ourselves through those matters. So Paul addresses this audience, and he sees them as their brothers, as his brothers according to the flesh. And he lets them know that the promise of God, of Jesus being the Savior, is a message that has gone out by God. God is sending out this message. And he sends it out for the benefit of Paul and Barnabas. He sends it out for the benefit of those who are listening to the message. And Paul talks about this promise, salvation. And there's several things that he says about this promise, salvation, that focuses in on the execution of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ. And so we need to grab hold of this because the resurrection makes no sense if there is no execution. And the first thing that we learn about this execution is that it's not those that Paul is talking to who are responsible for the execution. The the ones responsible for the execution were those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, the chief priests, the high priests, the Sanhedrin. They were the ones who were responsible for the execution. So Paul is not looking at his audience and saying, you're responsible. He's saying that those people who lived in Jerusalem and their religious leaders, they're responsible. And he says they executed Jesus, not fully recognizing who Jesus actually was. That didn't mean that they were free and that they weren't held accountable. But he's saying basically that when they saw Jesus, those in Jerusalem and the religious leaders, they didn't recognize him. They were ignorant of who Jesus Christ actually was. And not only were they ignorant of Jesus Christ, but they were ignorant of the oracles, the teachings of the prophets. And the amazing thing about these oracles of the prophets is that they were actually read each Sabbath in the synagogue. And Paul is saying, look, you guys come to the synagogue. You come to, quote, worship God. You open up the Old Testament scriptures. You hear from the prophets and you listen to the prophets. But unfortunately, you don't recognize what the prophets are actually saying. And it would be like people coming to church or coming to a Sunday school class. And the Sunday school class is being taught. The sermon is being proclaimed. But people don't really recognize and understand what's being said. They're ignorant of those things. So these individuals were ignorant of Jesus' identity. They didn't know who Christ actually was. Oh, they knew his name, Jesus, 
but they rejected the idea that he was the son of God, that he was God's son. And even though they listened to the prophets, evidently the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets said something about the identity of Jesus, but they were ignorant of who Jesus was. Their execution of Jesus actually fulfilled things that were written in the prophets that they heard each and every week. So as they listened to the prophets, unknowingly, the prophets would say things about individuals who would execute Jesus, who would reject Jesus, who would cast Jesus away. In fact, in Psalm 118, verse 22, it talks about the stone that the builders rejected. And in Mark's parable, in Mark chapter 12, the, 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 that parable, that verse is applied to religious leaders. The, the religious leaders were building a system, were, were building something. And when it came to this stone, that is Jesus Christ, they placed that stone aside. They tested it and said, this stone is not good for anything at all. And they rejected it. But God, in his providence, took that stone and built the church. And so here were these individuals, unknowingly, ignorantly, not recognizing that they were fulfilling the very scriptures that they were listening to. And they were fulfilling it by what means? By the fact that they condemned Jesus. That's what they did. They condemned Jesus. They said he was guilty. Even though, as we continue looking at our text, the execution had no grounds. They couldn't find one legitimate accusation against Jesus Christ. His life was perfect. His life was without sin. Peter said it well. There's no guile, no deceit found in his mouth. He was completely, absolutely, totally without sin. And yet, here they were, trying to bring an accusation against Jesus. And they couldn't find one. And even Pilate, the Roman government governor, who was responsible for the final trial, said on three different occasions, I find no guilt in him. Pilate, an unbeliever, a rejecter of Jesus Christ, knew that there was no accusations that could be found against the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though that was the case, these individuals crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember in response to Pilate's statements that I find him not guilty. They shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And that's exactly what they did. And Paul, when he preaches his sermon, alludes to that. He says, 
they took him down from the cross. Our Lord was crucified. We use the term cross, but there's really two different terms for the cross in scripture. And one of those terms is a tree. Not anything glamorous, not some silver cross, not some golden cross, not something that we have idolized and, 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 and treasured, but it was a wooden tree that represented the one hanging on it being cursed by God. And so... They took him down from the cross. And when you look at the gospel accounts, it really, permission was given to Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus down from the cross. And the last thing that Paul says in his sermon about the execution of Jesus is that they laid Jesus in a tomb. That's where they put him. That's where you put dead people. You you don't put, put people who have fainted You don't put people who have swooned. You you put people who are actually dead in a tomb, in a grave. And so this is the execution of Jesus. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the death of Jesus. And without the crucifixion, without the death of Jesus, there is no reason for us to gather together as Christians. We don't come together to, to, to worship a dead Savior. And so the execution of Jesus, the second thing that I want you to see in verses 30 through 37 is the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you knew I was going to preach that, right? I don't know when the last time it is that you might have been in the church, but you know that on Easter Sunday, our Resurrection Sunday, we're going to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a no-brainer. And hopefully that message never gets old with those of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, as he's preaching this sermon, to unsaved people. He has pointed out the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, he was executed, he was put in a tomb. But, but he doesn't leave him there. He doesn't stop there. And so when we come to verses 30 through 37, we find out about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, if you were to read verses 30 through 37, if you were to slow down and do that, you would find that on four separate times, Paul refers to the resurrection of Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I just want to point it out to you so that maybe in the future you can look at it. But in verse 30, he says, God raised him from the dead. Verse 33 He, that is, God raised up Jesus. Verse 34, God raised him up from the dead. Verse 37, he, that is, Jesus, whom God raised. So it doesn't take a brain surgeon to find out that the the significance of these verses 
is on the resurrection of Jesus. And particularly that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we could argue, we could show from scripture that the father played a role. That's what Paul is saying. But also the son was involved in his own resurrection and also the Holy Spirit. But as Paul is preaching to these Jews and who are unbelievers, and as he's preaching to these God-fearers, he wants them to know God intervened and stepped into the situation. You in Jerusalem, you religious leaders of these people in Jerusalem, yes, you crucified them. You told the world how you view Jesus. You didn't recognize him for who he is. You didn't pay attention to what your scriptures say. You have told everybody that in your estimation, Jesus Christ is nothing but a common criminal. But God steps into the situation. But God gives his evaluation. And it's always good to take the perspective of God. And so Paul, in these verses, particularly in verses 30 and 31, he wants us to see the intervention of God, that God stepped in to the situation regarding his son. And Paul tells us in these two verses, verses 30 and 31, but God raised Jesus from the dead. It's just that simple. You want to know how he got up? You want to know why the tomb was empty when the ladies came to anoint his body? You want to know why the man or the angel said, he's not here, he has risen? I'll tell you why. God raised him from the dead. He was not revitalized. He didn't come to his senses in the the tomb and uh, had fainted and now he was alive and he walked out. No, God raised him through the grave clothes from the dead. And and, and Paul says, I I want you to understand that. As he speaks to these Jews, as he tells them about there's a Savior. Yes, you executed the Savior, but the Savior is risen from the dead. He's been raised by none other than God. And as Paul goes on in this sermon, he says, the resurrection of Jesus is verified by eyewitnesses. How tragic it would be if we were to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and there would be no one who was an eyewitness. It's kind of like sometimes we tell these tales, we stretch the truth. Now we tell people, yeah, when I was in high school, I did a 360 dunk. <laughs> Can't find any eyewitnesses, though. You know, a lot of that's just in, in our imagination. You now we tried it, but we didn't do it. And so how tragic it would be that there were no eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. That if we had to believe in the resurrection, 
and yet no one saw the risen Savior. Paul said that's not the case. Paul says in verse 31, and I want you to look at your Bible and see that, what he says in verse 31, because it's crucial. He says, and for many days, he, Jesus, appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. God raised him from the dead, and he appeared. He was seen. He appeared. Now the Lord, after he arose from the dead, the, the, the text says that he appeared over a period of many days. Here Paul doesn't say the number of days. He just simply says it was many So this was not one second, one day. This is many days. So no, sometimes we hallucinate, but hopefully it doesn't last for many days. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, the exact number of days is given, 40 days. But he appeared. And here Paul is not concerned about saying all of the individuals that Jesus appeared to when he arose from the dead. There is a list. Uh, You can go through 1 Corinthians 15. You can go through the Gospels and find out different people that Jesus appeared to. One was Doubting Thomas, who who just simply said, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead unless I put my finger in in his hand and my hand in his side. You can get different people. You heard about it, some of you this morning. Others of you didn't hear because you were sleeping, but that's all right. But this morning we heard about some of these appearances. But here, Paul is zeroing in on just one particular group. And visitors, I'm just joking with you, so don't take that personally. Members, take it personally. (laughs) So, So Paul says that he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus did his ministry in Galilee. And then all of a sudden in Acts, I mean in Mark chapter 8, when Peter identified who Christ was, Jesus said to Peter, yes, that's who I am. I'm the Christ. But he said, I'm the suffering Christ. And he began to predict his death in Jerusalem and how he was marching. He was on his death march to Jerusalem. And he came into Jerusalem and he said, when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. But but Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm on this death march. I'm leaving Galilee. I'm going all the way down to Jerusalem. I'm going to be there. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to do all of these things to me, but eventually they will kill me. But every time he talked about his death, he also talked about his resurrection. And he says, I will rise again on the third day. So there were these men who followed Jesus from Galilee These 12 disciples, they followed him all the way into Jerusalem. 
And after Jesus was killed, and after he arose from the dead, he appeared to that select group. One guy didn't make it. That's Judas Iscariot. He was a betrayer. He hung himself in death. But the others, Jesus appeared to. And the reason why he appeared to them, they're really more important than any other group that Jesus appeared to. And the reason why is because these men, these apostles became the foundation of the church. And so he appeared to them that they might be witnesses. Who better to testify and witness that Jesus has risen from the dead than his followers? Because you remember that at the death of Christ, they're running into a room like scaredy cats. They're they're nowhere to be found. But the resurrection took place and Jesus appeared to them and it changed their lives. They were now set on fire. They were now bold. They were now opening up their mouths and telling people that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So we got witnesses who who are the foundation of the church. I'm not going to you to ask you if you have seen him. Oh, you can tell me that you walk with him. You can tell me that you talk with him. Please don't tell me that you've seen him and you see him. But we have eyewitnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. Now, Paul ends these verses on the resurrection of Jesus by pointing out that his resurrection is supported and substantiated by Old Testament scriptures. And he quotes three different Old Testament scriptures. And I'm just going to state the scripture where it's found in the verse that you can find it in Acts and just make a brief point. In verses 32 and 33, he quotes Psalm 2-7. Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Begotten not in the sense of procreation, but speaking of that unique relationship between the Father and the Son. And this is just a declaration of divine sonship that the resurrection testifies to. That might might sound like mumbo-jumbo, but the bottom line is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Scripture says that over and over again. One of the testimonies to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God is the fact that God raised him from the dead. In verse 34, Paul quotes Isaiah 55, verse 3, not Isaiah 53, but Isaiah 55, 3, which says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. God made some promises to David, and I know that might not mean too much to us, But it should because those promises that were made to David and particularly that a savior would come through the line of David, those promises have now, Paul says, been given to his audience. It's available to them. So the resurrection lets us know 
that the promise of a Savior is available. You need to know if you're without Christ today, that the promise of a Savior that God made to Israel, that promise is available to you because Jesus has risen from the dead. And if he had not risen, there'd be no promise. There'd be no blessing of a Savior. And then in verses 35 through 37, Paul quotes Psalm 16, verse 10. He says, thou will not allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. This is not the first time Psalm 1610 is quoted, but the significance of it is that this is just verifying and testifying that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead and it was an eternal resurrection. Not like Lazarus, Remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus didn't go to heaven. He went back to Bethany, to the home of his sisters in his home. But he died again. And Lazarus' body underwent decay. And when you read Psalm 16, it's about David. And Paul points out, David, after serving God and doing the purpose of God and the will of God, and what a wonderful testimony that is, but he fell asleep, that is, he died. Even David, the man after God's own heart, he died. It doesn't matter how well he did in his life. It doesn't matter how he accomplishes the purpose of God in his generation. He died. And not only did he die, but his body underwent decay. But verse 37 says, but he whom God raised, that is Jesus whom God raised, did not undergo decay. Did you hear that? Jesus' body did not undergo decay and will not. Jesus has risen from the dead. He remains risen from the dead and he will never ever die. That's good news, that we don't have a Savior who was just experienced a temporary resurrection, but no, an eternal resurrection. So we have the execution of Jesus, but thank God that God intervened and we've seen the resurrection of Jesus. The last thing that I want you to see in verses 38 through 41 is the preciousness of Jesus. The preciousness of Jesus. In a real sense, Paul concludes his message in verses 38 through 41. And he concludes it with an opening up the doors of the synagogue. You know the expression, the doors of the church are open. Paul is saying, the doors of the synagogue are open. It's invitation time. It's the time to invite men and women, boys and girls, so to speak, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to talk about the execution of Jesus and even about his resurrection. There needs to be a response. There must be a response. And the one who has responded 
If you're a genuine believer and you have responded to the gospel, you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ, then I'm sure this song is special to you. He's sweet, I know. He's sweet, I know. Storm clouds may rise, strong winds may blow. I'll tell the world wherever I go that I found a savior and he's sweet, I know. That's the preciousness of Jesus. And the reason why Jesus is sweet, the reason why Jesus is precious is because salvation is through the one whom God has raised from the dead. Paul says to his readers in verse 38, therefore, let it be known to you. It's a command. Know this. What does he want them to know? He wants them to know that through Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. In a world full of sin, in a life full of sin, it is wonderful to know that there is forgiveness of sins. That no matter what I have done, no matter when I have done it, no matter how long I have done it, that there is forgiveness of sins. Only through Jesus. Now, now it's not through the church. Uh, it's not through me. I can't come down and do anything for you. But, but Jesus can do everything for you. And in him, there's forgiveness of sins. I don't know anything better than that, being a sinful human being. But Paul says, uh, as I wrap this message up, I want you to understand you got a sin problem. But, but, But there's one because he was executed, because he was raised from the dead, that through him, that one whom God raised from the dead, there is forgiveness of sins. And if that doesn't excite you, it just simply means you haven't been forgiven your sins. But there's something else that Paul wants them to know. They are commanded to know that through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified through the law of Moses. So not only is there forgiveness of sins, there's justification. And that is you can be declared righteous. A holy God can declare you righteous, not because you have somehow reached a certain level in your walk with God, not because you pray X amount of prayers, not because you come to church, but because you have put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Declared righteous. The law of Moses, Paul says to these Jewish individuals, who are in a synagogue, who are reading and hearing from the prophet. He said, the law of Moses can't do that for you. 
The, the law of Moses cannot declare you righteous before God. It's only through Jesus. Now, now if that sounds narrow, it's narrow. It, it doesn't get any narrower than that. It's not through Jesus in your good deeds. It's not through Jesus in coming to the church. It's not through Jesus in praying in a prayer. It's only through Jesus that you can have forgiveness of sins and you can be declared righteous. And so Paul ends his message, and I'll end my message with what he says in verses 40 and 41. He says, take heed therefore... So that the things spoken in the prophets may not come upon you. Paul was warning him. Paul says, don't you dare leave this synagogue and not respond to the message, to the preaching, to the gospel. You've heard about your history. You've heard about the execution of Jesus. You've heard about the resurrection of Jesus. I told you that it's only through him that you can have forgiveness of sins. It's only through him that you can be declared righteous and freed from all things. Paul says, let me warn you. Don't leave this resurrection Sunday, so to speak, and not do anything with this message. Don't do it. He quotes from the book of Habakkuk where the people in that day who were familiar with Israel's history had ignored God's warning of coming judgment by the Chaldeans. And Paul says, make sure that the things written by the prophet may not come upon you. Make sure it does not fall upon you. What? Behold. He says, pay attention, you scoffers. That's who he's talking to. People who reject the gospel. He calls them you scoffers. And in that day, when this was written in the book of Habakkuk, the individuals who did not believe God's report, they were called scoffers. He says, behold, and He goes on to say, marvel, that is, be made aware of what is taking place. And then he says, perish. He commands them to perish. That's strange. That's, That's shocking. Perish. Why? God says, I am accomplishing a work in your days a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And Paul is applying that to his situation. Paul says, I'm describing to you a work of God. The execution of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, how God raised him from the dead, And if you leave scoffing and laughing and mocking this message, perish. Perish. Perish because 
you will never believe. Pause it. Don't let that come upon you. In other words, respond to the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so if you're here today and you're without Christ, respond to the execution and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. May we shout that from the mountaintops. May that be buried deep within our souls and our hearts. Father, we are grateful for Good Friday. It's only good because of Resurrection Sunday that you raised your son, Jesus, from the dead. Men despised him, they hated him, they mocked him, they laughed at him, they spat upon him. But you gave your estimation in your evaluation of your son. You raised him from the dead. And now through him there's forgiveness of sins. And now through him a person can be declared righteous in your eyes. I pray for those under the sound of my voice that they will ensure and make sure that they respond to this message that Paul has given us, that they would react and respond to who Jesus is and what he has done. Thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.